Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. We're just going to look at one verse there in a moment. We're going to continue today this study that we began several weeks ago called One Another. And I think most of you by now figured out why we are involved in this study. But just in case, uh, make sure that we are all on the same page. Let me give you this brief, uh, uh, brief uh, setup. So... I didn't want that thing sticking me in the back. I had to move that. Anyway, <clears throat> all right, here we go. So there's this two-word English phrase that's translated from a single Greek word in the New Testament. In case you didn't know, the New Testament was originally written or penned in Greek, and so it's been translated into the English version that you're looking at right now. And this one word, alelon, has been translated into the English, one another. And it's used about a hundred times in the New Testament to describe how believers, you and me, people who are Christ followers, who are following Jesus, ought to relate to each other. And we are involved this spring in a season of, of uh, discussion and investigation in the Word of God about how we as a congregation can become a more relational church. Now, when I say more, that that's, is an acknowledgement that we are relational. And I thank God for that. In fact, nearly every week, because we have people visiting us all the time every week, and nearly every week when I uh, talk with someone who's visiting our congregation after a service, they will almost first thing out of their mouth without fail would be, wow, I've really felt warmly welcomed here today. That's a sign of something relational that's deep and true about us, and I thank God for that. But there's always more, and that's what we've been uh, discovering, is that the, God himself, through his word, is calling us as part of his people, his church, to, to move beyond what we can achieve in our own abilities and our own strengths in terms of loving one another to that place that is uh, that kind of love that the New Testament describes as agape love. The Greek word agape, translated as love in the New Testament, is about the kind of love that God has. And we've spent the last three weeks discussing that in particular, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it defines what agape is. But now we're going to move into a little different uh, direction. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as uh, an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let me acknowledge that this is a setup. <laughs> Today is the last day of our month-long annual <laughs> volunteer staff recruitment. I knew that was coming. And so yeah, I chose this, this passage and this subject for today. So this, I, didn't, I don't want to sneak up on you. Let me just get that out there right, right off the bat. Another thing I want to do is sort of give you some context for this verse because we're dropping into a letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to a group of Christians like us in a city called Galatia. That's, what, that's where we get this, the title of this book from. So he's writing these Christ followers because, primarily because, some um, people have filtered into the group that is, are trying to persuade them that just having faith in the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ is not enough. That these Gentile believers, and when I say Gentile, I mean these were Christians who were not Jews. And so these, these people who are kind of filtered into their midst are trying to 
uh, persuade them that as Gentiles, if they really are going to be truly saved, they also must keep the Jewish law. They must keep the rules and regulations of the Old Testament of the Bible. Now, it isn't that the law, the Mosaic, uh, you know, when I say Mosaic, the laws that were given through Moses, the Ten Commandments and so on, it's not that they are not good, not that they aren't godly, not that God didn't give them to us on purpose, but it, it is to acknowledge that when God gave those Ten Commandments and other laws in the Old Testament, they were primarily designed to instruct us how futile it is to try to keep them. We cannot. In our human fallen condition, we can't save ourselves by being good enough. We cannot, no matter how hard we try, convince God that he ought to bridge this gap of sin between he and us on the basis of our keeping the law. It can't be done. There needed to be another solution, and right here would be a great place to say amen, that there is another solution. God himself came and fulfilled the law for us and gave himself as a sacrifice to cover the penalty for our sins so that we could be in relationship with God Almighty on his, the basis of his keeping the law. So Paul is writing these guys and saying, listen, don't don't fall prey to this religiosity, this idea that there's anything I can do to make God like me more. That there's nothing, don't fall prey to that. That's why he says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. I'll get to that in a minute. But through love or through agape, serve one another. That word serve means, really means slave. Become a slave to one another. Now there's a different, we, slavery obviously is horrific. It's, it's ungodly in every sense. But the word here that's used for slave is not only those who are compelled to be uh, under the thumb of, of slavery, but it's also used for those who willingly become bondservants, who decide on their own that they are so committed to another person, they are so in love with another person, that they surrender to be their servant. And so it's saying here, come to one another. In the liberty of the saving grace of Jesus, come to one another with that heart. I love you, my fellow brothers and sisters, so much. I commit to being your servant. Not because you demand it, not even because God demands it, but because agape demands it. My love for you, my heart demands it. I can't do anything else but serve you. <clears throat> Let's pay a few uh, attention to the few of the things here. We've seen in this one verse that serving one another is not to fulfill some religious obligation or duty. Paul makes that extremely clear. Our serving one another in the family of God is not about fulfilling some kind of command from God. It's not about uh, trying to earn his favor. It's not about religious uh, scorekeeping. But then he also says, but there's an issue of your flesh and your spirit. Now when I say, when I use the term flesh, I'm not talking about you know, your skin and bones. I'm talking about your fallen nature. That person, that the, the, 
the sin-scarred brokenness of, your, of who you are. But those of us who have come to faith in Jesus have come alive in the Spirit. And so now there is this tension between the flesh that used to rule my life and my coming alive spirit. And I want to promote that, don't you? I want the flesh part of who I am to be diminished and the spirit uh, part of me to, to rise. And Paul says when we are in this great liberty of grace, but he says be careful in this liberty of grace, there will be always this tension, the flesh wanting to war against the spirit. And one of the ways you can quickly allow your flesh to gain dominance is by refusing to serve. You want to, the quickest route to promoting your spirit over your flesh is to serve. And he also says here that the, uh, our serving to, uh, of one another has to come from the agape love that's taken residence in us by the Holy Spirit. So let's pack all of that up and carry it with us now to John chapter 13. Gospel of John chapter 13. Now, let me make another, uh, another acknowledgement. The first 17 verses of John chapter 13 are bedrock to our understanding of who we are as a congregation. This is one of the passages that uh, we use to undergird our vision statement. And this passage particularly, that part of our vision statement that says we believe that God wants us to become... A joyful place to serve. So we visit this passage pretty frequently. About a year ago was the last time we were here. I'm going to make that acknowledgement. Some of the things I'll say today are things you may have heard before. But I have another uh, focus that I want us to get to before we're done. Anyway, here we go. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, the hour mean, meaning his, his uh, crucifixion, <clears throat> that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So he's now with his disciples for the, um, the final hours uh, of his interacting with them before the cross. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. I'll come back to those things. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, now it's not clear, you know, in what order he comes to Simon Peter. I tend to think he's the first stop. You know, that, he, that Jesus comes to Peter first. Because <clears throat> that's the only way I can make sense of his question. He says, Peter says to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Now this, the answer should be a yes or no here, right? How, it's not a complicated question. Are, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, Well, yeah, because none of you clowns decided to take on this job and we're all sitting around here with stinky feet. 
That's not what it says there, by the way. It's what I would have said. <clears throat> but here's what Jesus said. Lord, are you washing my feet? What I'm doing, you don't understand now. But you will know after this. Hmm. <coughs> Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, well, you should have thought of that earlier and taken care of this, and then I wouldn't have had to. Right? <laughs> but that's not what he says. He doesn't say that. He says this, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, imagine that I have, you know, um, five uh, pieces of pie. And I give one to uh, each of five people. We all have part in the pie. We all get to uh, enjoy this treat. Jesus is saying to you, I want for you to have a part with me in something really wonderful. If I don't wash your feet, if you don't get this lesson, if you don't see what I'm about to help you understand, you won't be able to be, have a part of the blessing. So he says to them, <clears throat> or, or so Peter says to him in his usual over-the-top over way, okay, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Give me the whole shower. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you're not, excuse me, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. He's talking about the fact that among them was Judas Iscariot. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know, do you understand what I've done to you? Remember he said to Peter, Peter's question, are you, are you washing my feet? Jesus said, what I'm doing, you don't understand yet. Now he's finished and he says, now do you understand? You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you, if you do them, if you know these things and you do these things, blessed are you. That word blessed is a big word. It means happy, it means joyful, it means fulfilled, it means satisfied, it means at peace. It's a huge word. And Jesus says, let me, in fact, let me, just, let me just say it this way. Let me save all of you a lot of trouble. Because a lot of you are all, have been trying to figure out how to get to blessing in your life. How to have joy. How to have peace. How to have significance in your life. You've read a lot of books. You've attended seminars. You've listened to podcasts. You're trying to figure out how in the world to get to that place. Jesus makes it really clear. If you know these things and you do these things, blessed are you. So what, my question is, all right, what is it that I got to know and what is it that I got to do? Because I want the blessing. How about you? I'm going to go through this part really quickly because this is something, this is familiar to many of us. But I can't, I can't leave it undone. So three things <clears throat> that servants know. 
Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. One of the three things that servants know is there's nothing to fear. One of the reasons why people resist serving is they're afraid of being taken advantage of. They're afraid that something will be stripped away from them, that they will lose something in the process if they serve. It says here that Jesus didn't have to worry about that because he knew that the Father, the, 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 the source of everything, had placed all things in his hands. Listen, if you and I are, as believers understand that our, our God in heaven is the source of all things, I don't have to be afraid of losing anything. I can serve freely in freedom. I don't have to have that hanging over me. Second thing it says here is that uh, he, ha- he knew that he had come from God. Servants know there's nothing to prove. Sometimes people will in the church or in, in uh, the Christian context will serve because they're trying to prove how spiritual they are or how spiritually mature they are. They're involved in everything around the church and doing all this stuff. And that is supposed to be, they hope everybody recognizes what a spiritual person they are, right? That just pollutes their serving. Jesus knew he had come from God. He didn't have to prove that he had come from God, that he had God's approval at his back. And when I serve I have this settled confidence. I'm, I am propelled by God. He is behind me. God is behind me. I don't need to convince you of that. So I get to serve purely. Third thing, Jesus said he knew, or it says here that Jesus knew he was going to God. He didn't have to earn a place with God. He didn't have to earn eternal life by what he was doing. There was nothing about earning involved in his serving makes him free to just offer himself without restraint three things servants no Jesus said if you know these things blessed are you if you do them so what are the things that Jesus did what do servants do these are the three things that servants do verse 4 he rose from supper laid aside his garments took a towel and girded himself Jesus balanced receiving with giving. He had been at the table with the other disciples receiving of the meal, the conversation, the fellowship. But there comes this point when there needs to be a change and he rises from the receiving and gears up to begin to give. If your Christian experience is always about receiving, at some point, you're going to become saturated, like a sponge that's full. And that's when you're going to start to, th- to think, wow, that, that preacher's messages just don't move me anymore. I'm just not getting anything out of this any longer. Well, of course, there's no place for anything to go anymore. You need to squeeze that out into somebody else so that there's room. And this is what happens. I watch this all the time. I see it in my own life. I see it in your, in your lives too. When you get to that point where you squeeze out what you've been, what's been deposited in your life, you squeeze it out into someone else. It's like, oh man, I got to get some more. And it creates a hunger in your heart for more. That's the way it's supposed to be. A balance between receiving and giving. Jesus demonstrated that. That's part of what he said. Well, if you do these things, 
you know these things and you do these things, happy are you? Second thing that of the three that servants do that Jesus says here, or we're told Jesus did, is that he poured water into a basin, verse 5, and began to wash the disciples' feet. He found a need and filled it. He wasn't looking for what matched his gifting as Lord and teacher. Is there anything... I know everybody's feet are kind of in, in trouble here, and, I, and that's somebody you ought to do that, but is there anything that I, as a teacher and Lord, could do, you know? He didn't do that. He just looked for what needed to be done, and he did that. Not long ago, someone new to our church, I was meeting with him, and he was telling me that he um, believes that he is gifted as a teacher. When people... Let me just be honest with you. I was honest with him too. When, when people uh, lead, when, when the first thing out the gate when I'm meeting someone is when they lead with, here's what I do, here's my gifting, here's my calling, I tend to be just a little bit nervous about that. Because I don't think they, typically, I don't think they have the serving thing down. But that same guy within a week volunteered to serve in our kids' ministry. Now I know. This guy understands the serving part of it too. Because he wasn't about, it wasn't about here's what I do, can you use me in what I do? It was what needs to be done. And that's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled. Find a need and fill it. Third thing that servants do is they absorb dirt. This is not the most pleasant part of the servanthood part of the thing, but it's, uh, it's important Jesus had girded himself with a towel and it specifically says he dried their feet with what he was wearing. That means he got their stuff on him. As servants of Jesus, you, you're going to find yourself in situations where you have the opportunity to absorb somebody's stuff. But when you do, they don't have so much of it anymore. That's a good thing, right? That's part of serving. That can happen whether you're like back there like Noel is on the soundboard and, and somebody comes to him and says, hey, you know, you really keep this stuff way too loud in here. <laughs> Smile on his face, absorb some of that dirt. <laughs> right? When you go to pick up your kid and, and you, you know, you're standing behind the person that's saying, you know, I didn't get treated very well here when I brought my kid into this class. I'm not sure I'm coming back. And that teacher's just there... I'm so sorry that that was your experience. It certainly was in our heart. You've absorbed some dirt. That's part of it. Part of it. But now they don't have so much of it. Right? Okay. Now that was basically free. Here's what I was really getting at. <laughs> Between the two passages that we've considered today. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 and John Chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. There's four things I'd like to leave you with that, are, that I think describe serving and its value to the believer. Serving is not about what I do for others. Remember, Peter's, um, his focus was, Jesus, are you washing my feet? He was all concerned about what was being done. Jesus said, you, look, you don't even understand what I'm doing. Because serving is not about what I do for others. It's about what doing for others does for me. When I serve, 
in Jesus' name, when I serve in the way that we've talked about here today, there's something happening in me. And it has nothing to do with the task being performed. It has nothing to do with the job that gets done. I'm getting done. I'm getting worked over. <clears throat> Serving aligns my heart with God's. Our God is a giving God in every way that you can imagine. There is nothing self-serving, not one ounce of self-servanthood in our God. And when I serve others, I, I line up with where he's at. I get my heart pointed to true north. I'm, I'm where God is. Um, when I serve, it keeps me humble. And uh, boy, we all need a lot of that. Now I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the kind of guilt and shame stuff that people that's not humility. We need true humility. That other stuff, the, Jesus wants to free you from that. Humility, though, is something precious, valuable. The Bible says that it was because Jesus humbled himself even to the cross that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's the Lord. <clears throat> There's a humility that is Christ-like that serving uh, promotes in my life. <clears throat> Serving also promotes my spirit over my flesh. When I serve, my flesh don't like it. I guess the right way to say it is my flesh doesn't like it. But my spirit does. Sorry, flesh. And then finally, we saw that serving <clears throat> fills my life with joy. This is recording number 11210 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, May 1st, 2016. This is the fourth message in a series titled, One Another. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Serving. 